So what would you call a love that is fearlessly vulnerable? A love that's completely without caution. C.S. Lewis had this quote about love. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. I don't know if we can get that graphic up there for that. Love anything at all and there's the possibility of having your heart just wrecked. Love requires vulnerability. Love requires a fearlessness that says I'm probably going to get hurt on some level but it will not deter me. It will not stop me from loving fully. So what would you call love that is fearless in its vulnerability and that just lays it all out there? What would you call love that wasn't afraid of being broken or even dying? But not just dying, but dying for you. A love that puts it all on the line. What would you call love that gets the message that you left it? That says, I'm leaving. I'm heading to the the train depot and I'm catching a train out of town. A love that gets that note and, and then responds by jumping in the car and just speeding down the street, weaving in and out of traffic, headed to the depot. It arrives at the station and it, it parks illegally in the loading and non-loading zone and someone yells, hey, you can't do that. And it, love just throws the keys back and says, park it or sell it or I don't care because it knows it can get another car or it can get that car out of impound but it can't get another you. So it doesn't care about the car. And it doesn't care about itself either. Love that runs through that depot looking and searching. And when it sees you, screams your name. Don't go! Don't go! Right before you go through that turnstile, right before you leave, and it looks at you and it says... I love you. I love you. Even if you don't love me, I just had to rush here so that you wouldn't leave and I got to let you know I love you and I'll spend my entire life trying to show you just how much I love you even if you don't love me. Even if you'll never love me. A love that's when you look in its eyes, all you see is love for you. A depth of love for you. You know is genuine. You know is real. A love where there's no shame and there's no judgment. It's real and it's vulnerable. I love this is stay. I just want to be with you. 
The kind of love that this story communicates is just plain old reckless. It's reckless. It doesn't care about the car. It doesn't care about itself. It doesn't care about how it looks. It doesn't care about pride. All it cares about is you. Webster defines reckless as this. Marked by lack of proper caution. Marked by lack of proper caution. I don't know what proper caution is. And our teenagers certainly don't know what proper caution is. Marked by proper caution. The name of my message today is a love without caution. And this is a love of God. This is a reckless love. We, we sing a song here at church called Reckless Love. And it's interesting because as far as I know, the, the song, the first time I heard it was back in, I think, November and maybe December. And um, sometimes it, it, it kind of, you know, has ruffled feathers because it's like, well, God's not reckless. And what I love about the song is it never says God is reckless. It says his love is reckless. So what does that mean? The dictionary also defines reckless as this, without thinking or caring about the consequence of an action. Without thinking or caring about the consequence of an action. Friends, it's not that God doesn't care about how the consequences of his actions affect us. It's that he doesn't care about the consequences of his actions and how it affects him. You see, the Father had a reckless love for us. It was demonstrated in the garden. It was demonstrated in Genesis 1. He created man. He created mankind, man and woman, in his image. You know, when we talk about the garden, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about purpose. You know, that, that he gives us that mission. You know, that they were, were ruled to be, you know, were created to rule with him and to be in relationship with him. But before he gave any sort of instruction to be fruitful and multiply, it says he created us in his image. In their image, he created us. And then he blessed mankind. That's relationship. And it's, it's identity. It's blessing. And then in that, we find purpose. The Bible says that, that the Lord walked with man in the cool of the morning. Walked with him in the garden in the cool of the morning. You know why I think it's the cool of the morning? Because he was so excited to start the day with Adam and Eve. He's like, are you guys up yet? Are you up yet? Are you up yet? Are you awake? Are you, you're awake! Let's go for a walk. Man, you look really awesome today. Have you been working out, Eve? Look great. Adam, love what you're doing with the hair. See, God just can't help himself. He just can't wait to be with us. He can't wait to dote over us. He can't wait to pour out his love. The love of our God is so huge, guys. I, I, I could... I don't know that I'll ever be able to ac- accurately convey that love. So there is this prized creation created in his image. And God's reckless love allowed Adam and Eve to be in the presence of pure evil 
of a manipulator, a liar, a deceiver. Satan, who immediately came with the lie that God's holding out on you. God doesn't have what's best for you. God's, God's keeping the best stuff for himself, not for you. And God gave us free will and he gave us free choice so that we could see his nature, so that we could see him and know him and say, no, Satan, that's not true. Satan, I rebuke you. And he gave us that free will. See, we're not puppets. We're not pawns. We're not used by, by the God, by, by God for his bidding. We're given free will and we're invited to be up on my plan. Let me show you a purpose I have for you. But you get to choose. But if you think about it, it was kind of reckless. Kind of reckless that he would take mankind and, and put it there in the garden with the deceiver. I want to read that quote again. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. There's a vulnerability with loving. And and friends, let's not pretend like God is some uncaring, unfeeling entity. God feels. God loves. God cries. God prays. And he made himself recklessly vulnerable for the sake of our love. John 3.16 might be the most well-known passage of Scripture and we see once again a reckless love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. He didn't just give his son, he gave his only son for the sake of redemption, for the sake of tearing down the wall of sin and shame that separates us from the fire. That's reckless love. Corey Asbury wrote a song, Reckless Love. We sang it this morning. Listen to what Corey said when he wrote about this song, he said, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupt heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. I don't know about you, but the fact that the God of the universe gave his son for me, that, that appears pretty darn reckless and thankful that it is. A reckless love. A love that doesn't consider its own self. 
In Luke 15, Jesus is hanging out with some sinners. He's hanging out with some people with some bad reputation. And the religious people get gathered around seeing this don't like it. And they start judging him. And so he tells one story with three parts. He tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In the story of the lost sheep, he talks about a man who has a hundred sheep and he looks and he sees that there's 99. One has wandered away and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's reckless love. It says when he finds the one, he comes back rejoicing. He comes back celebrating and screaming. Anyone that will hear, look, look what happens. And Jesus says, this is what happens when, when one repents, when one reexamines their life and aligns it with God. Then it says there's a woman who lost a coin. She had ten. She lost a coin. And she lights a lamp and she tears the house apart looking for it. There was importunity. The, the fact that she had to light a lamp means it's dark. She couldn't wait till morning. She couldn't wait. She had to do it right then, right now. And when she found it, the same thing. She gets all of her neighbors and says, listen to how great this is. Friends, I want to encourage us, man. Are, are, we, are we proclaiming enough the goodness of God to our neighbors and our friends and everyone that listen what he's done in our life what he's done in our in our marriage in our family in our community in our homes the ways that he's healed my heart have we do we proclaim that enough and then the last story the lost son the son dishonored his father he said I want to live as if you're dead I can't wait for you to die I want my inheritance now. And the father gave him his inheritance. And the son took it and spent it just foolishly on evil things, on ungodly things. And when it was all gone, he looked around and he found himself in slop, in a pigsty, hungry and alone and sinking and no one there and he said my, my father's servants live better than this maybe if I go home he'll accept me as a servant and the father sitting looking the direction from which the son left sees in the distance what a silhouette that looks like his son you see God never gives up on us he never gives up on us was sitting there anxiously awaiting the return of his son, anxiously, anxiously praying for the return of his son, for the protection of his son. Lord, I, I bet you the father prayed this. God, would, would you only let my son know that he can come home? Would you only let him know that there's nothing he's done that's so bad that he can't come home? Would you just draw his heart back home? And the son came home and the father ran ran to greet him and embraced him and said my son is alive and once again party time and 
and treated him like a son, not like a servant. Gave him a ring, gave him shoes, gave him a robe, killed the the fattest calf. Barbecue, baby! Treated him like a son and told everybody, my son was dead. Now he's alive. My son is alive. That's reckless love. You guys, our future, your future, depends on your ability to open yourself up to the love of the Father. To open our hearts up to the love of the Father, our future depends on it. Without His love, guys, there's not much of a future. With His love, your future is as bright as the sun. John 6.33, I'm sorry, John 6.44, the first part of that says this, Jesus talking and Jesus says, no one can come to me, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him. Talking about the love of God, God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. He loves us, He chooses us, He gives us purpose. He gives us identity. He meets us where we're at. He comes to you and I. He comes to you in our in our slop. He comes to you in our sin. He comes to you in our mess. And He draws us to His Son, the Savior. The Father draws us to Jesus. Because Jesus was sent with purpose. Jesus was part of that plan of reckless love. Jesus was sent here to pay the price of our sin. To pay the price for shame. Jesus was sent to show just how ridiculously strong our God is. To conquer death. To conquer sin. To break curse. Romans 8, 31 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You guys, let there be no doubt. God is for us. God is for you. He is a huge fan of you. He's, he's got a picture of you on his fridge, in his room, in his wallet. Loves to show off and tell about all the great things you've done. Everything you've ever covered is on his fridge. He is a big fan of you. God is for you. But then this is interesting, guys. There's a series of questions that all begin with this word, who? 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 It says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? I'm not trying to be an owl, but you know. you got a bunch of who's. I mean, owls do too. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Guys, I want you to know as much as as much as God loves us and is for us, there is an enemy. And he is still that same liar, that same deceiver, that same manipulator that was in the garden. And and he is there, and he is our enemy. And he wants us dead. Of Satan, the Bible says he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, But I, I've come 
so that you might have life and have it to the absolute fullest. So who can be against us? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring any charge? What does that speak of, guys? Accusation. Accusation. Who can bring charge against us? The devil is the accuser. You're no good. You're not good enough. Man, you should be way advanced by now. Look at that. Where's your spiritual maturity? There's, where's the growth? Man, you're just... What a disappointment you are. You're this. You're that. Whatever. The enemy is the accuser. So it says, who's, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who accepts just as I am. It is God who receives me just as I am. I don't got to clean up first. You see, the lost son, he didn't have to hit the showers before he made his way home. In all of his filth, and all of his brokenness, and all of the squander, he comes home just as he is. And the father embraces him just as he is. And he does the same for us. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ just is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who is to condemn? We've got an enemy who condemns and we've got God who is righteous and victorious and conquered death. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You guys need to hear this word and take it to heart. Who it didn't say what. It didn't say what shall separate us from the love of God. It says who shall separate us from the love of God. Paul is painting a picture. He is unfolding the gospel right in front of saying there is an enemy and he is weak. And just don't be duped. Just don't be deceived. Grab a hold of Jesus and his completed work. Because the, the enemy is going to try and deceive that he can separate you from God's love. Nothing can and no one can. You know that tells me? Not even you can separate you from the love of God. Not our foolishness, not our frivolity, not our worst moment, not our weakness. You can't do it, friends. Because His love is relentless. And His love for you is reckless. And He doesn't care about the car. And He doesn't care about His reputation. He's running through wherever you are, calling out your name, going, Don't go! Wait! I love you! Thirty-seven. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Through Him who loved us. Through Him. Through Jesus. We are more than conquerors through Jesus. You guys, we are not more than conquerors on our own. We are not more than conquerors on our strength. We are not more than conquerors because of our good works. We are not more than conquerors through anything except who? Except through Christ Jesus. See, this isn't about what. This message isn't about what. 
And when I talk about what kind of love is this, what kind of love is this, it, it should have been asked, who is this? It's our God. It, it, is, it is Jesus fully demonstrating the love of the Father. He has nothing in all of creation is able to separate us from God's love. No one in all of creation is able to separate us from God's love. You know, I can't brag about my love. I can't. I can't brag about my love for God. I can't because I've failed Him too many times. I've been disobedient too many times. I can't brag about my love for God. But what I can do is I can step here and I can brag about God's love for me. And I can brag about God's love for you because He's never failed you and He's never failed me. I can brag about Him. So that's what I do. I brag about Jesus. I rave about Jesus. For His love never fails. My love is flawed. My love is very limited. His love is not. You guys, the pursuit of our life, the grand pursuit of our life is meant to be living God's love. Living in His love. Not in the darkness, not alone, not in chaos, not in accusation, not in shame. In His love. That's our pursuit. Our pursuit isn't a what. Our pursuit is a who. Our pursuit is Jesus. Our identity. If our identity is found in Jesus, then the what's just don't matter. How much money you make? What did you accomplish? What I mean, those they just they're just trivia at that point. So if you want to talk about purpose, let's talk about Jesus. Because that's that that's my identity.